0: Some people have a hard time with the Book of Leviticus. (laughs) If you're if you're one of these people, I'm curious how many of you have ever done the New Year's resolution? I'm going to read through the entire Bible in a year, like I've done this. I've done this a few times. How many of you got stuck in Leviticus, like I have? I admit it. It's happened to me. Now that's when I was a teenager. I was very immature. Granted, Um, you're you're more mature than I am. Uh it's a hard book. And so sometimes you come to a book like Leviticus and you and you start reading stuff like Biblical Feast of Israel, and you're like, what what is all this about? Why is this in the Bible and why should I even bother reading this stuff? That's what some people think. Let alone have a whole sermon on, on uh, the Feast of Israel. Well, let me give you just a couple reasons why you should study the feast. Number one. 2 Timothy 3 tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God, it is inspired, and it is profitable. And guess what? This is in the Bible. So there's your first reason. That's the only reason you need. But Colossians tells us that stuff like the feast are a shadow of things to come. A shadow of things to come. They're, they're not the reality, because shadow is not reality, but it is But there is a reality, and and you can see the shadow coming from that reality. And this is one of those cases where you're going to see the feast pointing to the reality of Jesus Christ. And as we partake in the Lord's Supper, I find that actually even the feast helped me have a a fuller understanding when I'm partaking in the Lord's Supper. You'll, You'll see why I say that in a moment, but... Uh, another thing is that these just help me to understand God and Israel and, and and what's happening there with His people and and even the whole Old Testament culture. It helps bring it a little bit to life. And these things were a, a, a shadow, if you will, of God's redemptive plan for Israel and the church. Uh, we're going today. We're gonna look at the Spring Feast. By the way, this is remember Northern Hemisphere. But uh, the, the spring feasts were literally fulfilled in Christ's first coming. And then we're going to see, well, this is going to tell you as we look at next week, as we look at the fall feast, the autumn feast, how those things are pointing to some future prophetic events that Jesus will fulfill then as well. So those are just uh, some of the reasons. If you look at uh, this, this, I don't know, this calendar, whatever you want to call this thing up here, this Jewish calendar on the screen, providing. Uh, some good good information for you. I hope you find that helpful. So you say, well, what are the spring feasts we're going to look at? Well, there there's four of them. There's seven feasts in total. Three fall autumn feasts, or and four spring feasts. So we'll look at the Passover, unleavened bread, the first fruits, and what some call Weeks or Pentecost. So let's look at the first one real quick here. Okay. So the first feast on the calendar here is Passover. It was a single day feast. Now, I'm not exactly sure how you say all these, these months uh, in the Jewish calendar there, but uh, it was on uh, Nisan the 14th. You can read about it here in Leviticus chapter 23. Look at verse 4. Well, actually, let's just back up. Back up. Get more of the context. Look at verse 1. Leviticus 23, verse 1, says that Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feast of Yahweh that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feast. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to Yahweh in all your dwelling places. Now here's the Passover. It says, These are the appointed feasts of Yahweh, the holy convocations which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, is Yahweh's Passover. So, There you go. There's the first one mentioned. God's telling us He's going to share with us all seven of the feasts, but that's the first one. What was the purpose of the Passover? Well, if you if you guys remember all the way back to the book of Exodus, you'll, you, you'll probably remember that uh, the first purpose of the Passover was a remembrance. They were to remember uh, some things that God had done for Israel. And in case you don't remember that, turn to Exodus chapter 13. Let me just share a couple verses to uh, refresh your memory here. Exodus 13. So you remember Israel was in bondage in Egypt for like 430 years? Uh, And so so God sends Moses back to Egypt, tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And so they had all these plagues, and then it comes to the last plague, and all the the firstborn uh, were going to die who did not have blood on the doorpost of their house. So that's the context here of the Passover. So look at uh, Exodus 13, verse 3. Verse 3. Moses said to the people, Remember, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand, Yahweh brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out And then jump down to verse 8. Verse 8 says, You shall tell your son on that day, It is because of what Yahweh did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of Yahweh may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand Yahweh has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at his appointed time from year to year. So they were to remember. Remember what? Remember this event, what Yahweh did for them, how he saved them, and brought them out of slavery in Egypt. So the original purpose here in Exodus was to deliver the firstborn child from death. Anybody didn't have the blood on the doorpost of their house. If they didn't have that blood, the death angel would come and kill the firstborn child in that house. And this was something that was to be done continually, year by year by year. Remember, it just said so. And so the annual purpose was to remember God's deliverance. But there was a second purpose. Second purpose was, it was also there for instruction. Instruction of God's people. The fathers were obligated, as it just said, to, to use this opportunity to instruct their children. So they would not forget the works of the Lord. By the way, that is a common problem for us. It was a common problem for Israel. God says over and over, why did they go to the false gods? Why was idolatry such an issue? It says over and over, they forgot the works of Yahweh. So let's look at some of the, just some general details about the Passover and what happened here. In the original Passover here in Exodus, watchfulness and haste were to be followed. But then it says, uh, if you look at chapter 12, it also says then they they had this time of rest. They they could recline. Then they could remember the deliverance. So look what uh, chapter 12, verse 11 says. Chapter 12, verse 11. In this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste it is the lord's passover hmm interesting is it so they were to be ready to to go out of egypt because this was the last plague that god brought on egypt and and god uses to deliver his people another thing that happened is they each household was supposed to have a lamb one lamb per household if you look at Uh, Verse 3, same chapter, Exodus 12, verse 3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. I'll explain the lamb in a moment, but uh, one of the things they would do is uh, the other thing the Bible tells us here is that it was only those who were circumcised who could celebrate this particular feast. That, remember this was a sign of the covenant that God had originally told way back in Genesis twelve to Abraham that his entire camp and his entire household was to be circumcised to be different from all the nations around them, and so Look again, look at chapter twelve verse forty four It says, "This day shall be for you a memorial day. you shall keep it as a feast to Yahweh throughout your generations as a statute forever you shall keep it as a feast and then look at verse forty eight Sorry, what did I just read it wasn't the wasn't the right one that's a great verse, isn't it? just not the one I wanted to read. <clears throat> Uh, Verse 44, sorry, is the one I wanted. It says that every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. And then verse 48 says, If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would would keep the Passover of Yahweh, let all his males be circumcised, then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. So they 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 couldn't be just like all the other peoples. they had to be different. they had to be unique. God wanted His people to be holy, and it was to be a memorial, notice, for all generations, not just the first one, but to be kept going down the line. So what did they do to prepare for the Passover? well we we read earlier, well, they needed a lamb, they had to select the lamb. It had to be a special lamb, not just any kind of lamb. Did you notice the lamb, uh, one, one per household, very special. Verse six, Exodus twelve, verse six says that you shall keep. Um, you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill the lambs at twilight. So they'd select the lamb four days before Passover began. They would uh, they would have this lamb selected. Land, the lamb was to be observed during those four days by the whole family they were to look for blemishes uh the the lamb would stay there in their house and uh it lived with them amongst them dwelt amongst them and they would they would love it and take care of it and make sure it wouldn't get any anything wrong with it whatsoever see that cute little woolly little lamb there that's yep that's the kind they would have something like that and you say well What's that all about? Well again, pointing to Jesus, isn't it? It couldn't have spots or blemishes. As verse five here in our Bible says, the lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep, from the goats. So it had to be a year old. And of course, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the perfect lamb of God who came without spot, and without blemish. And so in preparation for the Passover, Christ, if you read your, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that he entered into Jerusalem four days before Passover. So, Let me just give you a quick uh, calendar here uh, on, the, on the screen here. So Nisan 9 was Palm Sunday, or you might call that the triumphal entry of Christ. You remember they're all saying, Hosanna, praise God, you know, all this great cool stuff going on as Jesus comes into Jerusalem and then uh, Jesus cleanses the temple the next day on the 10th. And then on the 11th, uh, Jesus taught. On the 12th, Jesus was anointed by Mary and also this this whole betrayal plan was, was worked out. Betrayal plan by Judas, that is. And then on the 13th, You'd have the first slaughter of Passover lambs. There was, there was a lot of lambs to be slaughtered. It required a lot of time. And so that during this time also, Jesus' disciples prepared that upper room where Jesus would have his last supper with his disciples. And so then, again, four days later, on the 14th, this, this appointed day that God mentions here in, in Exodus, in Leviticus, right at sunset, Christ held his supper. And then after that, you remember what happens, right? They went out into the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was betrayed by one of his disciples, Judas, the religious leaders, and those coming with the Roman soldiers took Jesus. He's put on trial. And then after sunrise, Christ was crucified. And then during Christ's crucifixion, the, we have the second slaughter of the Passover lambs was taking place while the Lamb of God was being slaughtered. And then before sunset, Christ was buried. And that happened on the 14th. Do you think all that's an accident? No, definitely not. It's a fulfillment of Scripture. Another thing took place during Passover. There was also removal of leaven. All leavened bread was to be destroyed before this Passover meal. Uh, look at, uh, again, here in Exodus 12, verse 15. It says, Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened, from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Whoa. God's taking this seriously. By the way, that doesn't mean you can't if you like your your fluffy bread, that's okay, All right? <laughs> it doesn't mean you can't do it, but but what what they were doing here is they this offering would usually take place about 1:30 p.m. on the 14th of sun. It would take place in the dark. Same time, by the way. Remember Jesus on the 14th; he's hanging on the cross in the dark because God blots out the the sun during this time, because Matthew 27. Tells us uh from from noon until three o'clock, or from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there's darkness over the land. And though, so they would have their Passover meal during this time period, and the meal included, notice, unleavened bread. No leaven. The bread was same kind of bread that Jesus presented to his disciples as they were eating there at the Last Supper, because Matthew twenty six tells us. Uh, that Jesus, he took the bread, he broke the bread, and he distributed the bread to his disciples. And he said, he told them to take, eat. This is my body broken for you. At the Last Supper, there were four cups of grape juice used during the Passover meal. It was the third cup that Jesus actually quotes from Luke chapter 22, verse 20. And Jesus says this, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So that was the third juice cup that he did that. And so when it was time for the fourth cup, Jesus quotes from Matthew 26, verse 29, and he says, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The Jews would do something interesting with their doors during the Passover feast. At the end of a Passover meal, the households would open their doors. Well, you say, well, why did they do that? Well, as far as I know, they did it because they were supposed to be waiting for the Messiah to come. They're supposed to be awaiting their anointed one, the the King of Israel, to come. The temple doors were also opened at night. And isn't it interesting? As Jesus, the Messiah, was led. From the garden to the high priest's house, I can imagine him going through Jerusalem and and passing many open doors. The doors should have been open as they were celebrating the Passover feast, waiting their Messiah. How many of them recognized the Messiah when they walked by, when he walked by? Well, there's some interesting things that it corresponds with Passover that happened on the cross when Jesus was on the. He's hanging on the cross. It's interesting, at noon, the Bible says that the, the Jews were sp- supposed to burn their leavened bread. At noon, there was darkness over all the land during that time. At 1.30 p.m., the priest would do the, the daily uh, offerings. When Jesus was on the cross, remember, it was dark. At 2.30 p.m., the crowds gathered in the dark, outside the temple gates, to slaughter the Passover lambs as the real Passover lambs hanging on the cross. And then at 3 p.m., the slaughter of those Passover lambs began. You Remember what time Christ died? Remember when the sun came back? At 3 p.m., the ninth hour. 3 p.m. Matthew 27 tells us and then the, the the sun returns at that time and then what else happens? The doors of the temple were supposed to be open and then the Bible tells us in Matthew that the veil in the temple ripped. It ripped. An earthquake followed that as well. All very significant events. Any anybody who knew their Bible should have the the who knew the Old Testament scriptures should have recognized That was the Messiah. Even the centurion, the Roman centurion recognized this. Well, there's a second feast of Israel. It is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, this one's not just one day. This this would take place over an entire week from Nisan 15 through 21. You can read it in Leviticus 23, verse 6. Leviticus 23, verse 6. Verse 6 says, And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to Yahweh. Notice how many days. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, but you shall present a food offering to Yahweh for seven days. And on the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. Notice some significant things here. There was a, the, the first element is here, there's this special Sabbath from the 15th to the 21st of Nisan. It was a special, very special Sabbath days, no ordinary work. Uh, the other thing involved here was the temple sacrifices. Special burnt offerings were taking place, meal offerings, sin offerings uh, were taking place during this week. Apparently, that wasn't considered ordinary work. A third element was taking place. Notice they're eating the unleavened bread. and So all food during the week would contain no leaven. So you say, well, why did they do that? Well, to eat leaven during this week was very serious. In fact, it was considered something to be punished, as we read earlier in Exodus 12, such a serious punishment that they were to be removed from the nation. So what does the leavened bread symbolize? You'll see a picture of leavened bread right on the screen. But leaven is used as a symbol of sin. God, remember, God wanted His people to be holy. That's the whole point of Leviticus. They're to be distinct, unique, and separate from everybody else in the world. Because God is holy, they're to be holy. God didn't want sin in His camp. His people. So it's used as a metaphor for, for sin, for pride and hypocrisy. In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew 16, as, he's, as he talks about the religious leaders of Israel, here's what he says. I'll put it on the screen here for you. He says, How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Well, then it was that they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So Jesus interprets this for you. You don't have to guess. So what does unleavened bread symbolize? Well, unleavened bread symbolizes the absence of sin. If leaven represents sin, then no leaven means no sin. It's a picture of Israel being purged from Egypt as well, being and then if, if you're coming out of Egypt, then, then, then you need something to go to, right? Set apart from sin unto God. God's children, God's people. It also symbolizes Israel and the pure life that God's people are to live. And so that's why they, when they go to Mount Sinai, God gives them the law. What was the purpose of this feast? Well, like like the first one, they're supposed to remember some things. Remembrance. God cares that we remember and he, so he's he's very gracious and he gives us these things that we're supposed to to do to help us to remember. A lot of us are visual learners, aren't we? We we need to uh some of us are very tactile. We're we're very kinesthetic and we like we like to be able to touch and do things and it helps us to remember. That's why we have things like baptism and Lord's Supper even today in the church. Well, God wanted His people to remember, and Israel's to remember what? That God delivered His people. God set apart His people unto Himself. They weren't to just wander off into the wilderness, away from Egypt, and just do whatever they wanted. They had a God. His name's Yahweh. God says so. Let me just give you a few verses here. For example, in Deuteronomy 16, verse 1, it says, Observe the month of Abib, which was later on changed to Nisan. Keep the Passover to Yahweh your God, for in the month of Abib or Nisan, Yahweh your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Exodus 13, 3 says this Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand Yahweh brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. So they were to remember. That's the first purpose of the feast. And number two, same as the Lord's Supper. They're to celebrate. Remember and celebrate. What are they celebrating? They're celebrating this deliverance that God's given to them. He just said so, right? Remember what God's work was. It was to be a whole week of joyful celebration. It wasn't supposed to be a gloomy week. It was a time to celebrate their deliverance from bondage, from deliverance from slavery. So God delivered Israel from Egyptian bondage, and then you you, you keep going in your Bible. Eventually you come to Jesus, who's fulfilling this, and we see Jesus is the true Passover lamb. God provided, and what is he doing? God provided deliverance from the greatest bondage anyone's ever had, which is the bondage of sin. The bondage of death that comes with that sin. So Christ, of course, Christ fulfilled the feast. How did he do that? He fulfills it in his death, burial, and resurrection. And so Christ is buried. Guess what? The Bible says, when Jesus was buried, your sins were buried with Jesus. You say, is that in the Bible? Where would I find that in the Bible? Here it is: Romans 6, verse 4. Look at this. It says, We were buried. With him, Jesus, by baptism into death. Jesus is buried, you're buried. But that's not the end of the story, of course, you know, because Jesus arose from the grave. And the last part of the verse says, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, you too might walk in newness of life. How can you have newness of life? Well, you have to have your sins buried with Jesus, and then you're raised in newness of life. So believers participate in this feast. You say, I do? Yeah. Every day, you can participate in this feast by living a pure life before God. Because 1 Corinthians 5, verse 8 says this, Let us celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So, those things were pointing to a greater reality. Another thing we learned in this feast is all males were required to participate in this feast. All males were required to come and present themselves before God during this particular week. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 23. And so failure to attend this feast resulted in the individual, again, being cut off from the congregation of Israel. As Exodus 12, verse 19 says, For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leaven, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Serious consequences. There's a third feast that Israel was to Remember. Celebrate. It's called the Feast of Fruits. It's a one-day feast. You can, Again, read about it here in Leviticus 23. Look at verse 9. Leviticus 23, verse 9. It says, Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before Yahweh, so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a burnt offering to Yahweh. And the grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah, of fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to Yahweh with a pleasing aroma, and the drink offering with it shall be of wine a fourth of a hin. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. The feast of first fruits has an interesting word there. First fruits we don't typically use these days. It just means first fruits means it's a beginning. It means it's the best of the harvest. The events were primarily celebrated in the temple, and so as you just we just read together, uh, the priests would wave this best of the harvest. Often, be something like a raw barley, and so they would. Why why are they waving it? Because they're waving it before Yahweh. And waving it so everybody can see. And the people would thank Yahweh for the harvest that was to come. And so besides the waving of the first fruits, there's also Thanksgiving sacrifices that were that were to be offered on this day as well. So what happened? Events that took place on the feast of first fruits. Again, no coincidence that Jesus fulfilled the Feast of Firstfruits. What happened? Well, something happened where Jesus was buried that happened. Matthew 28, verse 1. Matthew 28, verse 1 says this, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. That's a significant event. What else happened after Jesus resurrected from the grave? Well, the Bible says that right right at sunrise, there's an earthquake. Then the stone to Jesus' tomb was moved, and the graves of the saints were opened. So what's so significant about that? Well, think about this question. Is Jesus Christ our firstfruits? Yes. The the short answer is yes, because 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, those who've died, they have hope. Because of Jesus' resurrection. Jesus is the firstfruits because he arose again. Guess what? All believers will rise again. And so the sheaf of firstfruits was just a pledge to Israel of the many sheaves that were to follow. Of this great harvest that would follow Jesus. My friends, that's all Christians. All Christians. It's a type of foreshadowing of Christ's resurrection from the dead. But it's also looking forward to the believer's future resurrection. So that's how Jesus fulfills the feast of first fruits. He, he's the greatest, the best part of this harvest, assuring that there's going to be a great harvest coming after. Well, there's a fourth feast in the springtime of Israel, which was called it had two different names: Weeks or Pentecost. Again, another week long feast, which was taking. 50 days after the first fruits. So you can read about this here in Leviticus chapter 23, starting in verse 15. Verse 15 says, You shall count sevenfold weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to Yahweh you shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved made of two tenths of an ephah they shall be of fine flour and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to Yahweh and you shall present with the bread seven lambs a year old without blemish and one bull from the herd and two rams they shall be a Burn offering to, to Yahweh with their grain offering and their drink offerings, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to Yahweh. You shall offer one male goat for a sin offering, and two male lambs a year old as a sacrifice of peace offering. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the firstfruits as a wave offering before Yahweh with the two lambs. They shall be holy to Yahweh for the priests. And you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall leave them for the poor, for the sojourner. I am Yahweh, your God." What's going on? The Feast of Weeks, notice it's, it's the last here of the spring feast of the four. And by the way, the New Testament calls this feast Pentecost, which comes, of course, from that Greek word, Penta, five. We get 50 days here. During this time, the free will offerings were given to God according to the, the measure of how God blessed them. You had Levites, servants, and and the foreigners all invited uh, into the homes. And and, and notice it's interesting, as it says in verse 22 here, the corners of the fields were to be left for poor, so that they they weren't to be just given the food. They had had an opportunity to come and work and gather their own food. So again, there's a purpose for this feast, two two purposes. Number one, uh, to rejoice before God and to remember their deliverance, to remember the God who delivered them in particular. But as we read, there was a counting of the grain. They, they were to have two baked loaves of bread with leaven, and those were to be waved as a grain offering. The two loaves may possibly portray, by the way, I'm not exactly sure, but possibly uh, portraying Jew and Gentile alike, both sinners, who are, who are now receiving the new covenant. The early first fruits were weighed before the Lord during the Feast of the First Fruits, but notice this is the latter first fruits, and these were, were baked loaves of wheat bread, uh, and they were to be offered to God during this particular feast, the, the Feast of Weeks. So, what are the key events that would take place here? Number one is Israel received the law, uh, the Old Covenant, and then the Holy Spirit was received on Pentecost. You remember that? Acts chapter 2? That's the day the believers in Christ received the Holy Spirit. And, and when they did, what happened? The Bible says they entered into the New Covenant. As Jesus said they would. The New Covenant in His blood. They're, they're supporting verses, by the way, on this New Covenant. The Bible talks a little bit about this. For example, in Matthew twenty-six twenty-eight, Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins Hebrews 9 verse 15 says that uh, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant that old covenant and then in Hebrews 10 verse 9 here's what Jesus says behold I have come to do your will whose will? Father's will what do he do? He abolishes the first covenant in order to establish the second covenant, the new covenant. So what happens as, as, as these Jews, the Hebrews, were celebrating this week-long feast? Well, number one, Israel was to be divided into 24 districts. Every community would, would gather with their gifts. They would place their gifts on an ox-drawn cart. Uh, the, the Bible tells us they would have the cart would have gilded horns. Uh, it was to be crowned with an olive wreath, and so the community would march eight hours a day until they uh, people from all over Israel, even way up in Galilee, coming down to Jerusalem, and, and they would just keep going until they reached Jerusalem. And uh, I would have loved to have been there because as they're coming into Jerusalem, they would have a flute player playing this flute preceding this this district. And so the priests and Levites would follow the flute player, and, and the whole community would walk behind the ox-drawn cart as they're coming into Jerusalem. The procession ended outside the city where they would, would wait for the first day of the feast. You can imagine it would be big groups of people coming from all over Israel, coming to Jerusalem. And so then it was on the the first day of Pentecost, that each district would march to the temple. So people would be lining the streets, the locals lining the streets, greeting the travelers as they were parading up to the temple. What a celebration. (laughs) What a great celebration. All to remember and to celebrate what God had done. Let me just summarize these spring feasts for you, lest you... You kind of missed the point of what's going on here. Uh, number one, the spring feasts were literally fulfilled. The Passover was fulfilled in the death of Christ. Again, a one-day feast fulfilled by a single supernatural event that was never to be repeated again. Hebrews tells us it was Jesus' sacrifice was a one-time thing, complete, done for eternity. The unleavened bread was fulfilled through the purging of sin, and that had permanent effects. A week-long feast involving a single supernatural event with permanent effects continuing even on into today. This was applied at the moment of salvation for any believer whose faith is in Christ. And of course, that has ongoing effects in your life, doesn't it? Through Christ, uh, who is the... The great high priest, our, our intermediator between us and God. He's, he's there as their intercessory to God there in heaven. First fruits was fulfilled in the resurrection of Christ. Again, a one day feast, fulfilled by a single supernatural event. Again, will not be repeated because Christ will not die again. And then at Pentecost, that was fulfilled when the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. As they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, Jesus said that He's going to send the Comforter. They're waiting for Him. And He comes and indwells these believers. So the gift of the Holy Spirit involves, again, a a single supernatural event that has permanent effects, continuing on even till today. So what is the Holy Spirit doing for you if you're a believer today? Well, if you're a Christian, He's indwelt you. If you're a Christian, he, he continues to fill believers, control believers on a daily basis as you yield yourself to him. So they're literally fulfilled, but number two, the spring feasts were chronologically fulfilled. Uh, there's, this is just some random order put in your Bible. God knew that Jesus would fulfill these in this order. Uh, they were fulfilled in an unbroken time period. Span, if you will. And so the Passover is fulfilled in the death of Christ on Nisan 14. The unleavened bread is fulfilled in the burial of Christ on the next day, of course. And then the first fruits was fulfilled in the resurrection of Christ on the first Sunday during that week of unleavened bread. And then Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, fulfilled in the indwelling and fulfilling of the Holy Spirit, which, of course, happens 50 days after Christ's resurrection. Isn't that amazing? All this is written like 1,400 years before Jesus even came. No coincidence. And you can see again on the screen, I found some various uh, Jewish calendars on the internet. Um, I hope you find those helpful, not too confusing. So, four spring feasts fulfilled in Christ's first coming. And then we're, uh, next time we'll look at the fall feasts, how those were are going to be fulfilled in Christ's second coming. May God enable you to believe His Word, what He has written, and how Jesus fulfills these. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, opening our eyes to Your Word, and thank you for bringing Jesus, giving us Jesus, the greatest of all gifts that we could possibly have. We're thankful for Your love so that we don't have to be eternally condemned and, and punished. But we, now there is no condemnation for all who are in Christ Jesus. Thank You. May we see how Jesus has fulfilled the spring feast here in His first coming. And so may we look forward to His second coming. May we be watching. May we be ready. May we understand how this is, is pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the one we're supposed to be looking to. We're, we're supposed to be ready and waiting. And we're thankful that Your Word is profitable. It's all God breathed. May we believe it. May we follow what Your Word says. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.